Because it just about sums it up. There it is, from from uh, from a deep theologian. I mean, really, you don't get much deeper than that. That pretty much sums it up. This is our Father's world, all of it, every bit of it, including us. And we'll even see tonight, even every breath we take. 
belongs to him and he is sovereign over and can do whatever he wills with it. And when you, you know, I don't know. I think sometimes when I think about that, I think, oh, thank you, Lord. Because it just takes a lot of pressure off of me. I don't know about you. You know, he's sovereign. And, and as much as I like to fix things and try to make things better, really, that is under the providence of God. It's his world. He is sovereign over everything. So I think we can sing the song tonight just understanding God's sovereignty that we're going to actually learn a little bit more about tonight. Maybe even a lot more about tonight. And maybe this song will even make more sense. I know Scotty would have. Had he been here last yeah. week, Scotty would have, I'm sure. Um, 
But so do we? Do you remember what the definition of wisdom is that we were looking at last week? <coughs> Just generally speaking. Is that the 1957 Webster's? Either the 57 Webster's or or Tozer's. I know you don't have that right in front of you. Or Tozer's description that was a biblical description. <laughs> Go ahead, Mikey. Go ahead. It's the skill to achieve the most perfect end by the most perfect means. The, the most perfect end by the most perfect means. I love that because there's only one that is perfect. Amen? And so it's such a great, it's, it's really a great uh, definition of, of wisdom. And then, of course, we were looking at the fact that we can gain wisdom. In fact, we can ask God for wisdom where we lack it. And I would hope that we would all do that because I don't know about you, but I, I certainly lack wisdom. And, uh, and could use more. And so um, uh, we should be seeking that out. And so um, as we look at this accumulated learning, the knowledge, the insight that we gain from experiences, from what we're doing here, it's all really important in, in terms of, of uh, 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 becoming wise, godly people. We should aspire to do that. And so last week, uh, I was surprised when uh, the question was asked and, and nobody responded to something that Tozer said that might have been a little personal. And it, it resonated with me because I grew up this way. My dad told me a really long time ago, I was just a, a wee little lad, and my dad told me, he said, you know, Bill, there's three kind of people in the world. There's people that make it happen, People that watch it happen, and people that wonder what's happening, yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and and of course that's a totally non-biblical worldview uh, to to look at people that way. Um, but the point is, is that I was told that at a young age, and it was actually kind of ingrained in me. And uh, interestingly enough, I had to kind of overcome that by viewing people that like, what's wrong with you? Aren't you in the make it happen category? <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't want to be in the make it happen category? Who, because who wants to, for goodness sakes, be in the category of wondering what's happening? <laughs> and so there's this, this contrast. And so Tozer, in his book, um, in fact, if you, if you turn to page 139, if you have Tozer's book, he, he and I want, I want some feedback on this, because this is important. Um, he says that there are three classes of people in the church. The unblessed, the uncommitted, and the committed. And when I was reading that, the, you know, that's, that saying from my dad just popped into my head. Wait a minute. There's the make it happen, the watch it happen, and the wondering what's happening, people. And, and so uh, this, it, I mean, my hair stood out on end a little bit when I was seeing what, what Tozer was writing. And so what does Tozer say about the unblessed? Who, who are they? Unsaved. The unsaved. Yeah, so those that are unsaved. And so, um, in fact, uh, maybe somebody could just paraphrase from, from that page on 139 what, what he says about the, about the unblessed. Well, they also say, he says here, they may believe in God. They may believe that Christ died for their sins, but they're not ready to surrender themselves and let God run yeah, it's interesting because he talks about this group of people in the church that are unsaved. And they, they might be going to church because they believe in God. Can you believe in God and be unsaved? Yeah. Sure. Sure you can. 
Yeah, that's, that, that churches are filled with people like that. And there's nothing wrong with that because churches are filled with people that are seekers. They're, they're, and, and, and maybe they believe God, but they, they, don't, they don't know enough yet. Okay? They don't have enough wisdom. Um, and they're not filled with the Spirit. They're not, they're not ready to surrender yet, according to Tozer's view. And that's really interesting. And then he talks about the uncommitted. Mm. And, and, and who are the uncommitted, according to Tozer? Yeah. yeah, they've accepted Christ, but they've said, I got this. <laughs> I mean, have you ever said that? I have. <laughs> I mean, not since like 9 o'clock this morning, but, but, you know, I mean, but seriously, we all do that. There isn't a person that doesn't do that in some, in some, see, that's called sanctification, so we're all going through that process. But he says that those are the uncommitted. They've never been willing to turn their lives over. And they've never been able to say, Lord, okay, from now on, you go. Because clearly, I don't. And it's interesting that we can think about giving up our life, but do we do it? And that's, you know, I, I love the way Richie always puts that. So, okay, so do you believe it? Because you know you're going to do what you believe, right? I mean, that's the, that's the bottom line. And, and so Tozer says that these uncommitted are the ones that... Um, they're, they're up and down that spiritual level, ladder all the time. So their spiritual life is on a roller coaster. You know, you know they're happy and then they're not happy. And they, and, and, and they, they consider that to be uh, spirituality because they're, they're, just not, they're just not committed. And, so, and then he talks about the third group of people and those are the committed ones. And, so, and then he makes one comment that is pretty obvious. The committed ones, he says, oh, you know them. You ever run across people like that in the church? Oh boy, you know, you know, you can just tell the all enters. Um, so my question is, in, in looking at that, because that resonated with me. So my question is, um, uh, do you agree or disagree with Tozer that there are really those kinds of, generally speaking, there's those those three classes of people in in in, in churches, Steve-O? Well, what do you mean by unblessed? Well, he just he just uh, uh, because God blesses everybody. Understood, but they're not receiving. Yeah, but they're not. I think his point is they're not receiving the blessing because they haven't committed their lives to Christ, and so they're they're playing the field at this particular point. Yes, that's what he's talking about. So they haven't received that blessing. So they have not received Christ. They are they are not they're not born again believers. So therefore they are. So he he uses the term unblessed. Okay. And so, unblessed, uncommitted, and, and committed. So, agree or disagree? I think his unblessed and committed are really not very much different because he says the same thing about both of them have not committed to allowing God to rule their lives. Even one Clearly, if one is... Big detail, yes, and, and but in terms of how they operate in the church, in the church, you know, can, and, and when you try to identify those people, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll make mention a little bit more about that in just a second. Um, um, so, is is there a difference? Yes, because there are those that are saved, and there are those that are unsaved, and so God calls us, of course, to to uh, to to make disciples out of all of those that are saved, and to share the gospel with those that are not, and so. Um, and this is interesting because remember Tozer is a pastor okay 
So, so this book is being written by a guy that, that you know spoke from the pulpit every Sunday, um, and uh, and he has a and he's pretty direct, um, which is kind of why I wanted to ask what your thoughts were on this. And so, is is that offensive to anybody that 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 a pastor would write a book like this and then would put people in these in these classes or categories? So that's what you're either, you're either saved or not saved. Okay. So it's not offensive to you because from your perspective that you're either saved or you're not saved, you're either uncommitted or you're committed. So that's not it. so you don't find that particularly difficult. You say could a pastor write this book? Well yeah, I would think so because a pastor watches them week after week. Mm. If they're if they're playing church and preaching calls and playing church, they, they come and they sort of feel around the edges. Okay, interesting. So, so Joanne suggesting that the pastor probably has a better perspective than than anyone. Okay. Okay. Pardon me. Most pastors. Well, most, yes. <laughs> Different. <laughs> Not all pastors. Not all. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true. That's very true. He especially mentioned uh, down south where they have the, the week long meetings or the two week meetings, you know, and every time the evangelist would come to town, they'd have a week of meetings or something, and the same ones would go forward every time the new guy comes in. So that used to happen. I sure. Sure. No, I was introduced to a fellow once, and I and I got to know him pretty well. And and uh, and even though he would say that this bothered him, he was that guy. He was the guy that whenever there was an evangelist that would come down to town, because he was an uncommitted Christian, because he 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 said that he had put his faith in Christ, but you know if he was going to go to a judge, you know, would there be much evidence to convict him of that? And and uh, the answer, of course, was I, I learned was really no. Uh, and every time there was an evangelist that would come to town, come to town, he'd go down for the for for the altar call and say that that he would go down for the altar call and then justify that by saying that, well, he was just really backslidden. But he spent his whole life being, you know, justifying his backsliddenness, doing what he wanted to do, not, not committing his life to Christ, you know. So, uh, and so, I mean, you know, if you're saved or you're not, that's between you and the Lord, right? So, uh, I, you know, we don't have any clue. I, I don't have any idea who's saved and who isn't saved. Only God knows. But, but the, the point is that, uh, boy, this was really direct. I mean, this is really direct. Unblessed, uncommitted, and committed. Ooh, is that biblical to put people in those categories? Yeah. Yeah, Revelations does. Pardon me. Revelations does. Okay, Revelation indicates that there are that there are these classes of people. Yeah, and look at the parable of the tares. Parable of the tares. When we started out with, Jesus is going to say, "Depart from me, I never knew." Ooh, I think that's the scariest scripture of, of all, you know. Depart from me. I never knew you. Uh, and taken in the context of the whole of scripture where Jesus says, hey, follow me. And, and of course, nobody does that perfectly. Uh, I, was, I was talking to a, a pastor in town just yesterday, and uh, he was um, sharing with me... Um, sometimes how he has a process that he goes through because it is critically important 
for him to be in the spirit and not in the flesh whenever he is commenting to anybody about anything. And as a pastor especially, he has a particular um, process of discipline that, that he employs. And I, I, was, I was really pleased to hear that because it was like, okay, so here's a pastor, because I'm thinking about this. Okay, unblessed, uncommitted, and committed. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering, you know, sometimes, because, you know, pastors are, are, are human too. Okay, we can't forget that. They may be called, but they're human. And so, and, and I, was so, I was so pleased with what I heard him say yesterday because um, it, uh, it, it, it just kind of reaffirmed that, that boy, the, the pastors have to deal with this too. Okay, because they got to get up in the morning, um, and they have to be in the spirit, just like us. You see, because a, because a pastor isn't any different, other than it's like it's like relationships in the home. You know, the two of you are married, but you're equal. You just have different roles within the marriage, but you're in God's eyes. There's no difference between the two of you, other than the roles He calls you to. And so, uh, and so we have to we have to just be we have to be um, uh, we have to look at these things from a biblical point of view. So anyway, I just want to bring that up because last week in talking about God's wisdom, nobody brought that up, and I thought, wow, that was that was a pretty powerful thing for this pastor to have said in this book, calling people out on being unblessed, uh, uncommitted, and or committed. And so the question then really is, um, so you know, regardless of how you feel about that. Have you ever considered yourself in any one of those three classes, according to Tozer? Or more, more likely, um, you, you don't have to answer that one, of course, but this one would be okay to answer probably. Have you ever looked at anybody else and put them in one of those classes? I've been in all of them. <laughs> you, you've been in all of them? All of them. Yeah. Yeah, I love that because, you know, we hear a message and, and we always say things like, oh, boy, Betty really needs to hear that one. You know? <laughs> <laughs> all, all the while when we're saying that, it's, it's, it's I'm the one that needs to hear that one. You know? Don't we do that, though? Don't we do that? So we, we, we kind of forget, you know, that God is sanctifying us through all these experiences. And, um, and it's okay. It's okay. The, 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 uh, you know, I've concluded anyway that I mean, for me personally, that it's, it's okay. Those classes of people in the church, it's it's, it's okay to, to be that direct because at least it's honest. So let's just be honest. And if we start by being honest with God and ourselves, then we can move forward relative to if we're if we're really not that committed. See, some people are uncommitted and they don't even know it. They don't know it yet. They, don't, they, haven't been, they haven't been told. And other people are unblessed and they don't even know it. They don't even know that they're not saved yet. There could be somebody walk through that door next Sunday, walk into this church because maybe even just the Spirit was moving them or maybe they just heard music and they liked it. And they might walk in here and for the very first time be checking out a church. For the very first time, not having the slightest idea what this whole putting your faith in Christ is all about. Even if they've heard of Jesus, but they don't know enough to even know that they're unblessed, and so, um, and so it's it's uh, it's by way of categorizing these things. I think sometimes that helps us minister to people and minister to one another because that's what we do in the body of Christ. We minister to one another. So, having said that, talking about God's sovereignty, we have these scriptures 
starting with the Deuteronomy 4.39. And I think it's important to take a look at these scriptures because we are going to learn a little something about the sovereignty of God tonight. And we're going to learn from scripture itself. And I'd like to read these scriptures and then let's take each one of them and just, just look at them carefully instead of reading through them. Let's just take the first scripture, Deuteronomy 4.39. It's short. Tozer used it in his approach to getting us to think about the sovereignty of God. And once we read these scriptures and look at them a little bit, then let's try to take a look at what is that? What is sovereignty? Sovereignty means that God, as the ruler of the universe, has the right to do whatever he wants. He is in control of everything that happens. Okay, and what does Deuteronomy 4.39 say? Oh no, I'm not there. Okay. <laughs> somebody's somebody's that is there can read that though. Oh. Go therefore today and take it to your heart. But the Lord, He is God, is in the above and on the earth below. There is no other. Okay, and where is the sovereignty, even though we haven't defined sovereignty or God's sovereignty yet, where is the sovereignty of God in that scripture, in that verse? Okay, he is in heaven above and he is on earth below. And there is no other. Okay, uh, it's interesting, Ernie was telling me tonight about the friends that they have that Tozer makes reference to this, to this religious group that is called what, Ernie? Zoroastrians. Zoroastrians. And the Zoroastrians... That, that Tozer refers to in his book are the people that have taken God and pluralized him and so that there's a God of good and a God of bad. And, uh, and it's really interesting because my, well, you can justify almost anything you want when you start doing that. When you start doing that. So uh, that's a really interesting thought. So we see in Deuteronomy 4.39 the sovereignty of God. There is one God. There is no other God. There is one God which means that there aren't two gods, right, Ernie? And that there aren't, there aren't three gods. Because some people would tell you, our good Muslim friends would tell you, that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are three gods. You know, because they don't, they don't understand. And so, uh, and by the way, who does understand that? <laughs> See, they're, they're not alone. They're not far off, really. See, we believe without understanding, right? Because, you know, Olivia is going to get up now and she is going to explain in detail from her theological position exactly what the Trinity is. <laughs> ah, <it's, laughs> come on. Where do those words come from, Olivia? I don't have them. Okay? And that's the mystery of God, isn't it? So what about, uh, what about Deuteronomy 32, 39-41? So given the context of this study... You know, we, we need to take a look at what is God speaking to you as we read each one of these scriptures. Because if we allow God to speak to us through his word, which we should on a regular basis, think about that tonight. Because he is present, you know. He is present. Okay, go ahead. See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death and give life. I have wounded, and it is I who heal. And there is no one who can deliver from my hand. Indeed, I lift up my hand to heaven, and say, as I live forever, if I sharpen my flashing swords, 
and my hand takes hold on justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries, and I will repay those who hate me. Interesting. So where do you see God speaking to you about his sovereignty in this in this scripture in Deuteronomy? There is no God who is one more time? There is no God There is no God besides me. He is one. There is one God. I myself am He, according to the NIV. I myself am He. I was wondering if that was good English. I myself am He. It's a declaration. It's an attribute. And what is an attribute? A characteristic of or... A trait of or... Or... Quality. What? A quality or anything that God declares of himself. So this is a declarative statement. I am he. You know, I am, he says. A Jew would understand that completely. We don't quite get that, but I am. But he says that, um, as Olivia states, I, I myself am he. There is no God besides me. And what else? Pardon me? He lives forever. He lives forever. That's eternality, isn't it? That's another attribute of God right here in this in this uh, uh, passage from Deuteronomy. What else do you see in this passage? The whole passage is that. <laughs> the whole passage is. But specifically. He has the power to kill and to bring life. He can wound. He can heal. He can Deliver. Okay, and so and all of those things that he can, he can put to death and he can bring to life. What attributes of God do you see right there as, as that is declarative of himself? Oh, omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And he's sovereign over that power. Amen. He is all-sovereign over all things according to this. He, he has put to death and he has brought to life. He is wounded and he has healed. Don't ask me why. I mean, I, I've, I've said this many times. Um, you know, boy, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> and, um, you know, and praise God, none of us are God. Because right? we wouldn't be a very good one. <clears throat> but but he, 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 is, he is sovereign and, and, and no one can be delivered out of his hand. Meaning he, he's immutable, Right? So once he's in, once you're in his hand, and that's his plan, that's his will for you, that's not going to change. God does not change his mind. He doesn't change anything. Isn't that comforting? I change, but God doesn't change. It's comforting. It always amazes me because a lot of people in church will say, oh, so-and-so walked away from God, or so-and-so walked away. It's like, God says you can't. Hmm. I mean, you can go straight, but he says nobody can take the other one. Yeah, that's... Why do you think you're strong enough to take yourself? Well, that's really interesting because there's a whole theological debate on that on that subject, of course, that we can get into. You know, can you lose your salvation? And so we're not going to go that, that there tonight. We're going to go someplace else. But um, but take a look at... Uh, and someplace that, that Tozer wants to take us, by the way. Um, uh, but look at, look at Job... Okay. Now, now Job had a lot of things to say. And the book of Job is wonderful in terms of looking at not only the sovereignty of God, because what happened to Job? 
Everything. What didn't happen to Job? He had everything. I mean, and, and, he, and he was a godly man, and God took it all away, and everybody said, including his wife, curse God and die, and Job said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going there. And, uh, you know, Job went through a really interesting uh, time in his life, didn't he? So take a look at Job 12, 9 through 10, and think about it in terms of the attributes of God and specifically his sovereignty. Someone read Job 12, 9 and 10, please. In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. In whose hand? Both. In whose hand? God's hand is your and my every breath. When I first was introduced to Pastor Richie some years ago, he did and still does often pray and he'll say on Saturday mornings when when we get together to pray for the church and whatnot, he'll say, Thank you, Lord for giving us breath today. And, and here's a man who understands at a, at a real deep level that the breath that we breathe is a gift of God in the moment. Because if it were His will not to give us our next breath, we wouldn't have one. And that's hard to grasp sometimes that until you understand that, of course, He gives us breath He's sovereign, and he loves us. So when you tie that all together, it's comforting, but it's also humbling, isn't it? That every breath of ours comes from the sovereign God. He's sovereign over even our breath. So, our breath, big thing, small thing? Big thing. <laughs> to whom? Yeah, and to God. See, we but we take it for granted. We do it. We do it. I don't know about you, but I I breathe several times a day, <laughs> and I just take it for granted. You know? Yeah, I don't even think about it. I don't think about my breath. I don't, I don't think about it. And yet, when you stop and you think about about Job, that that is telling us that in God's sovereignty. Except when you have bad breath. Except for when I have bad breath, or except for... Well, we're not going to go there. So, it, the point is, is that every single breath of every single creature is in God's hands every moment of every day. And you might not think about it, but God thinks about every which breath every second. Yeah, he thinks about not only each one of our breaths, and is concerning himself with each one of our breaths that we take, even so much so that it counts every hair on our head. It's just, it's just hard to grasp that level of intimacy that this God that is sovereign over our lives has with us. And yet, you know, we're... we're um, what was the scripture that we read a couple of weeks ago that says that we're stupid? I like that one because I relate. <laughs> you know, we're, sometimes we're just stupid, aren't we? And, we? and we forget to put in the context this sovereign God that is completely in control of even our breaths. 
Job 12, 16, and 17. Job 12, 16, and 17. Job 12, 16, and 17. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Strength and victory, both deceived and deceived. Mm-hmm. He leads, counts away, stripped, and makes fools. You only missed it by one verse, Sally. What do you see? What do you see in terms of God's sovereignty in verse 16 of Job 12? See, in the church, oftentimes what we think about is we think about this beautiful, and we, uh, and we're so we're very blessed here because we have this small church family where it is very loving and people really do care about one another, and you learn that pretty quick around here, and it's just natural. It's a natural thing, and um, and so this church has kind of a that's that's the that's the culture here. That's 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 God breathed into this place. He's put you know there's nobody here for. By mistake. So he's put people here that are that way. For his purposes. So he's done that. And yet, he is also sovereign (coughs) over the deceivers. He is also sovereign over every person that would walk by the doors on a Sunday morning and curse what's going on in this place. Because he's sovereign over all. But we tend to think about it in terms of the church, don't we? Because that's kind of mostly where our, our relationships are and our, kind of our life is, if you will. But God is sovereign over and loves that person that walks by and curses what's going on in this place, even cursing God. And He is sovereign over even those thoughts. I, you know, meditating on these verses over the last couple of weeks, and it, it's... it's um, i got to tell you, in my flesh, I don't like that part. I want God to like me more than the guy that walks down the, 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 the sidewalk and curses what's going on in this place. I mean, that's just, a, that's just a fleshly thing, and I'd be dishonest if I said any different. I would also be dishonest if I told you that sometimes I elevate the church over everything else. And, and I get sometimes a little bit confused because even God... God even does that. And he says, wait a minute, there are priorities. And our first priority is the church. Okay, is the church family. Okay, those that are believers. Okay, and so, so we get that. But then we misconstrue that. He's sovereign over not only that, but he's sovereign over those that are not in the church. And so we can, if we're not careful, we can get an attitude about that. A lot of Christians don't like how he looks at sin. Even. They think it should be on the on a scale. On a scale. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Flat. Yeah, and I, I've learned a lot from our brother Tyler, you know. Uh, you know, Tyler's a cop. And, um, and Tyler is a godly man. And Tyler goes to work, and he takes down bad guys that sell dope. And so that's why he looks so funny. Uh, so he can fit in with my dad. I think that's the objective in, in his line of work. But... but uh, but having been around him doing his work, I've said this before. You know, you, you see that he uh, he loves he loves busting the bad guys, and yet when he does it, he does it with such a heart 
And he's such a big teddy bear of a loving guy. Now, when he has to be full-on in authority, he's full-on in authority. But by the time they're in handcuffs and they're, and, and they're arrested, this guy is like, it's as close to sharing the gospel as you can get um, while you're on the clock working for a government agency, I'm telling you. And that's, that's Tyler. And that's with the homeless people that he deals with on a regular basis. And that's with the, that's with the drug dealers. And that's, that's just with everybody. That's just who Tyler Larson is. So he doesn't put it, you know, he has learned in his line of work that nobody gets treated any differently the way he, where he comes from. And, and well, I've learned a lot about that because, because I, I tend to, I tend to, like Tozer, I don't know about you, but I tend to put people in, in categories. You know, and, 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 and uh, you know, I've been, I think the Lord's working on me there. Um, and that's probably a good thing. Job 33.13. We're going to look at Job 33.13 from three different, at least three different translations because this is a wonderful verse. Because see if God doesn't speak to you through, through this verse, Job 33.13. Who has a, I know Doris, you have a New King James, right? Will you read it in the New King James? Why do you contend with him? Because he does not give an accounting of any of his words. Mm-hmm. Who has an NIV? Why do you complain to him that he answers none of man's words? <laughs> there are these paraphrased Bibles that sometimes I like to use. Not often, but I do sometimes. Uh, the Living Bible says, why should you fight against him? Just because he doesn't give you an account of what he's doing. <coughs> and... And then in the voice it says, Why do you argue with him, complaining that he refuses to account for all of his actions? Ah! Anybody convicted by that? Anybody argue with God? God! Anybody been praying for something for a really long time? And you ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, I'm convicted by this. It's like, you know, sometimes I think I've got it together when I realize I don't. Um, and it's, so why am I arguing with God? God, it's not, now it's time. It would be a good time now, God. I mean, God, the timing is right. Okay, everything's in place, God. Really, I no, seriously, because this person is there, and this person is there, and this one's really ripe, and so God, it would be perfect if you pull all that together. Nothing. Why? That's like fiddler on the roof, heavy on the roof, Playing this song, and he says, He has these seven daughters. Why many of ours? Yeah, and there's this difference because when we were at the men's retreat, you remember that, that, um, that there, was a, there was a great opportunity and, and, um, uh, to go out on the balcony and just scream out sometimes. Not even a why God, but just to, just, just, just to let it out. So, so, you know, and, and men, you know, ladies, you don't understand this, but men sometimes need to do that. You know, we're hunters and gatherers, you know, and so so sometimes we just need to do that, you know, and um, and yet sometimes what we do is we cry out each of us, don't we? Why, God? Because we want to have that answer, don't we? And and in and Job, you know, I mean, God's trying to teach us here that, you know, well, because he's sovereign, because I'm telling you, Wes. Everything you see, buddy, is like this. I mean, it is so myopic, you don't see diddly squat. That's a biblical term. 
Um, you don't see anything compared to what God sees. So who are we? I, I know, have you ever caught yourself doing that? Oh, God, who am I? I've even told God what I think He should do. You should be saying, thank you, God, this is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. well, and, and, and I think we, you know, we, try, we try to go there, um, but you know, in our humanity, in our brokenness, in our sin, you know, we, we, even with the best of intentions, we do those kinds of things. Huh? I mean, come on, everybody's done it. Everybody's done it. And just a couple more, and then we're going to ask a question. But Jeremiah, we don't go to Jeremiah very often, do we? Jeremiah 18.6 Now God gets real personal with the Israelites. And I love it when God is real direct. Because I understand directness. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this father says, the Lord, like clay in the hand of the father, so you are in my hand, O house of Israel. Oh, What's he telling them? I'll do what I want to. I love the potter and the clay analogy. If, if the clay is just there, it's a lump. We are lumps. And God, if we're willing, if we submit to him on the wheel, God will mold us and shape us. And Scotty, remember this one? Chisel us. And he will do it for whose benefit? Our benefit. Our benefit. And we tend to fight that, don't we? And so I love this, Jeremiah. I can do with you whatever I choose. Well, this becomes important when we ask this question here in just a second. One more scripture, Daniel 4, 3. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Okay. That last that last line in that scripture. His dominion endures from generation to generation. What is dominion? Well, there uh, I'm sorry, I'm still in here. Because he was making noise. <laughs> That's the last thought I <laughs> oh, Okay, dominion is, is sovereignty. It, it denotes sovereignty, doesn't it? And so he says that his, 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 communion, his <laughs> dominion endures from generation to generation. So if dominion is, is a sovereignty, okay, um, if it's, I like to think about it this way, if dominion is absolute ownership, <clears throat> Does God have dominion over you? Over everything. He, say that again. Over everything. Over everything. God has dominion because dominion is sovereignty. So God has dominion over everything. Has God given us any of that? Any dominion? Over the earth. Yeah, he has, hasn't he? See, there are some things that God shares with us and some things that he doesn't. So we don't have the ability to create as God did. We are not immutable as God is. We are not omnipotent as God is. But do we have dominion? 
Yes, he gave us dominion. He gave us dominion over the over the birds and the animals and the and we even have dominion over the earth to take care of it. I mean, you know, really Christians are the first environmentalists. The problem is in today's world the environmentalists become that becomes their religion. <laughs> so they they just they just tweaked it a little bit, that's all. But but really we're we, we have dominion over these things. And to glorify God we should be we should be doing that biblically. So dominion becomes pretty important. So the question then we lead up to this. The question is, what is sovereignty? By definition, what is sovereignty? Authority and power over something. Okay. Is it like a dynasty relationship? Okay. Sovereignty. Uh, so you're t- you're talking about. Uh, because I've discovered something about you guys. I think you're all Christians. <laughs> so you're taking a look at this from kind of a Christian biblical worldview, aren't you? Okay, let's start there. So from a biblical worldview, from a from a Christian worldview, worldview, from God's point of view, God's sovereignty is like a diatheke, greater to lesser. Okay, full authority, right? Isn't that what all? Oh. How much is all? All. Pretty much all. All. In Greek, it's all. Yeah, in the the Greek and the Hebrew, all is still all. So all, authority over all things, right down to the breath that we breathe, that's all things. Okay, is there other types of sovereignty then? We dealt with this when we were looking at wisdom the other day. Yeah, the world, Israel's going to have their own sovereign nation. I mean, there's world, worldly sovereignty. Oh, there's worldly sovereignty. So are there two kinds of sovereignty then? Is there godly sovereignty or a biblical worldview of sovereignty and then there a, a worldly sovereignty? Because if sovereignty is defined as all power and all authority over something... Well, the term is used in, in uh, countries and civilization or whoever's Top down, it's a sovereign over everybody, and they, they have the final say, like in a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. We know this because it's called the sovereign of England. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, like God gave it that sovereignty. Right. Okay. And, and God, God, uh, God gave us President Obama too. <laughs> I'm not suggesting whether you don't like that or just like that. I'm just. <laughs> That's what Scripture says. It doesn't matter whether we agree or we disagree. <laughs> That's what Scripture says. All authority. We're supposed to be thankful for all things. And we're supposed to be thankful for. I mean, so hey, there you go. So sovereign, I, I, I think about this in terms of um, uh, you know we support a number of the a number of the uh, Indian tribes through a through a, a, a ministry that we fly for, uh, and uh, and the the Apache and the Navajo that are out in eastern Arizona and, and New Mexico uh, don't necessarily get along with one another because they're 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 a two kind of different Native American tribal groups that are competing for resources with one another. And so it's sin is the problem, but 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 they are a sovereign nation. They can do as they will. But what's the difference between that kind of sovereignty and the godly sovereignty that we're talking about? Well, that's sovereignty bows to men. That's 
that sovereignty bows to man, whereas the other one bows to God. Okay, and so what's the difference? It's very small. It's a territory where God has sovereignty over everything. Okay, so the, the, the size of the sovereignty, and it's a, it's a man versus a, a God thing, and what, what, is the other, what is the other issue between this godly sovereignty and, 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 a, and a man-made sovereignty? Because Dora said that, that sovereignty is, is all power and all. And what? And authority. And all power and authority. All power and all authority. And anything that we have, he has given us his own portion of that. But he still has power and authority over everything we need to. Okay, so the key is authority. But God's, God's sovereignty is, is, is through love. Have you read the Old Testament? <laughs> A little bit. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just, you know, if I mean, if I were a believer and I was reading the Old Testament, the, the first thing that would come to my mind isn't how God uh, uh, so much was uh, so loving. Yeah, but God wants people to come to Jesus. Ah, so. uh, okay. But the point is, and the key here in terms of God's sovereignty is. There's one type of sovereignty that is fully authoritative. The question, therefore, for us is, in reading these scriptures, is, it's, it was so easy. You guys just let that stuff just roll off your tongues about God's sovereignty and how... And how that's really kind of easy, isn't it? I mean, don't you see it? Is it, is it easy? Wes, is it easy just to say, hey, God's sovereign? Easy. And, and why, what makes it so easy just to say, well, clearly, God is sovereign over all things. Because Dora said that he's all-powerful and has all authority. And what makes that so easy to... God. Well, I, I have the problems with the sovereignty that I see is and as we confronted on a daily basis that God is sovereign why do you allow this? What, what is this in relationship to the sovereignty of evil and suffering and, and abuse and you know all that? And, and the, the the most amazing part of the sovereignty is that how God can use all of that even to bring Him glory. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know how it's going to maybe that as far as something. I know that in the course of history he's shown that how because of Jesus what he had to go through you say and, and the disciples struggled with that too because he said Lord you're not going to do this no 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 and they didn't understand that God was going to use the brokenness of man to put him to death to show them to really to magnify man's sinfulness and, and to, to lift up Jesus as the sinless son who of suffering on this, but the whole thing brought glory to God. And it just in some way does that. In some way it does that. And do you understand that? I can't figure it out. I, <laughs> I just love that part of it because here's the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the one that is sovereign over even each breath that we take as we're sitting in this room together and we're trying to understand his attribute. This is, see... His sovereignty is, is it's who he is. It's not what he does. 
It's who he is. And so we're trying to kind of grasp that just a little bit. And, and really, Wes, maybe I can put a few words in your mouth. It's really kind of even silly to have the discussion. Even Tozer says that in his book. It's kind of silly to have the discussion because we've already figured that out without understanding it. Because the question that we might have is, then God in your sovereignty, why in the world did you allow Eve to be deceived by the serpent and that knucklehead husband of hers to go along with the, with the plan? Why? They call it the mystery of iniquity. It's the mystery of iniquity. And we can look Where did at iniquity come from? Where did iniquity come from? Oh, that's a good question. Where did it come from? <laughs> All of a sudden, we're getting deep theologically here, guys. I mean, we're we're like we're like oh, we're going to school now. So the question then is the question then is you know if if, if it's so we don't get it, we don't understand it, but we agree with it, don't we? It's the craziest supernatural thing you'll ever experience because we we accept it, we believe it, and we don't understand it. It's so flip-flop from the way we have to deal with things like, you know, I mean, Wes used to drive a truck across the country, and he knew how to do it exceptionally well. He was good at it, except for the picture I saw when you had one laying upside down, except for that time. But that was a win thing, I'm sure. Yeah. But but the point is, is that you knew how to do that well. You understood the truck. You knew what made it work. You could make the plan. You could get there safely. You could do all of that kind of stuff because in your world, you were in charge of all of that. And yet we sit here tonight and we say, oh, yeah, God is sovereign over all things. I totally believe it. It's really not that big a deal. It's kind of easy, actually, because we see it all around us all the time. And I don't have the slightest idea how it works. Take it on faith. So he's supreme over all things. If he wasn't in the garden, for example, in equity, if he wasn't, then what? I know that that's a hypothetical, but if God wasn't sovereign or isn't sovereign, then what? Because what? Possibly, and, yeah. Or a world, or anything. Else. Yeah, yeah. So we, could, you know, you could start following that logic. But, but because we believe, we believe it because it's true. Whether we believe it or not it doesn't matter. Well, it does. But it doesn't change the fact that it's true. So God is sovereign. So, because He is sovereign, then what? Then what? When your new favorite Isaiah 55. Yeah, and whatever his purpose is in allowing all Okay, so in the end, it's all going to be for good, and you believe that, and, that, and that's all, and that's all good. And at the same time, you know, Robert. Now, Robert, I, don't, I can't imagine. Now, Robert really messed up. <laughs> he did. Because <laughs> I had this, I had these plans and these ideas for Robert just yesterday. But no, what did Robert do? He chose to go fishing yesterday. <laughs> Can you believe that? He chose to get up at 3.30 in the morning so he could be down there at 4.30 so he could go fishing. 
Uh, it's unbelievable, Robert, that you would that you would choose to do that. So, in God's sovereignty, did He allow you to make that choice? <laughs> okay. So that brings up the question, doesn't it? And then Tozer spends a lot of time and ah, uh, Tozer, why did you do this? So Tozer <laughs> has to go down this road, and he says, but okay. Um, there's this debate that goes on in the church now because Robert used his free will to go fishing yesterday. Uh-huh. Who said that that was in the sovereignty of God? So where's the difference between God's sovereignty and his free will to make that choice? Because some questions have got to come up. I mean, because I'm a Catholic, come on. You're free to choose anything you want to do, aren't you? Okay. Sally, anything you want? Complete freedom to choose whatever you want. You could even go fishing tomorrow if you wanted to. (laughs) 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 So what's the question that comes up relative to... that's really interesting because I think one of the questions that comes up that Tozer poses here which is a question that that has been you know since the time of the Reformation for the last five or six hundred years in the church there's this debate isn't there? If God is sovereign then isn't he just in control of every single thing that Steve says, does and thinks? Isn't that already been predetermined? Because we've talked about his other attributes here He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's unchangeable. He's, the scriptures tell us that since before in eternity past, however long ago that was, he knew you would be sitting here right now. Not only did he know that you would be sitting there, he knew you'd be shaking your head and making comments and what you were going to say and how many times you would breathe. If that's the case, then where does your free will to do any of this come in? That's the question. And in your free will, because oh, all of a sudden it starts getting kind of theologically deep again, because now you guys are in the master's program at Ohio Valley Christian Fellowship Theological Institute. Okay, here we are. It starts getting kind of deep. But it's kind of fun and interesting, really, to kind of to, to, to think about, because actually, all of a sudden now, we could be talking about salvation-related issues here, because who's, because what's the question? Well, just because God knows exactly what we're going to do, it doesn't mean he's going to stop us for when we decide to sin or to go off on a tantrum or whatever. Yeah, that's pretty clear. He knows, he knows okay. we're going to do that and when we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. So is so he sovereign over your choice to sin as well? He gives us the freedom. He gives yeah. us the he gave you that freedom. Okay, so he, he gave you freedom. Okay. Okay. So he's planned everything from the very beginning. We we agree to that, right? God has everything planned from the very beginning. You've heard that, you know. Jesus loves you, and He has a plan for your life. <laughs> well, we say that because it's true. All right. All right. 
So Tozer says this. He says that God's sovereignty means that he is in control, right? We, we've established that. So he's in control of what? Everything. And that he has planned everything from the very beginning, whenever that was. Okay? So from the beginning, he had a plan. But he also says that man's free will means that we can, anytime we want, make most any choice that is pleasing to us. We could go fishing tomorrow if we so chose, couldn't we? Okay, we're free to choose that. Within the limitations that we have, okay, because we can't do the things that God can do, but within any limitation that we have, we're free to choose whatever we want. Right, Betty? Anything we want. You can make as many chickens tomorrow as you so choose. Mm-hmm. We're free to choose. Okay? So the question then is, if you can choose to do anything you want... She chose not to make any more monkeys. No more monkeys. Okay. Yeah, you, you had enough of those monkeys, haven't you? If you're free to choose anything you want to do, anytime, that's a good thing, isn't it? Can you then defy the will of God by making your choices of what you want to do? Because if God has a plan for your life, Olivia. They also have the Yes, you do. You have the power of the Spirit. Critically important, isn't it? And you also have free will, don't you? To a certain extent, at this point, because I didn't want to do anything that was displeasing to the Lord. Okay, you didn't. Oh, so you wouldn't want to do anything that's displeasing. The power of the Spirit in you gives you the gives you what? The discernment and the power not to, because you're no longer a slave to sin. Oh, this is good because that's what God gave you. It's a gift. Okay, and He gave you that, and therefore, could you defy even under those truths? Could you defy the will of God by your free will? Because of what you choose to do. Okay. She couldn't because she already made the choice. But you're saying hypothetically, hypothetically Okay. Yeah. Okay. And God gives you the freedom to make that choice. He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Okay, well, Tozer makes a big deal out of this in this whole chapter, doesn't he? Because all of a sudden, you know, we're... Man, it's a head-scratcher, and it starts getting a little bit deep theologically, and I was wondering if we were going to you know, lose interest in this, because this has been a, this has been a conversation that, that has been going on in the church for, for uh, five or six hundred years now. And so the, the, so the question is... And there's two schools of thought, right? And he points it out. A Calvinist or a... Or, or an Armenian view, and of course we know that the, a Calvinist view, or an, where, where does that come from, by the way? Anybody know? John so John Calvin, and who is the other guy? Huh? Arminius, and, and he's either he's either Jacob or Jacob, Jacobus. Okay, um, and so these two theologians during the time when the church was trying to figure out who it was, because the the, the uh, to keep it really simple, the Catholic Church had kind of gotten uh, kind of ahead of itself, and there was this Reformation, and God was going through this process of, of doing a little house cleaning, if you will, in terms of how to appropriately interpret Scripture. Because remember, it was only the church that could interpret Scripture. Nobody had a Bible. And so now, all of a sudden, people had Bibles, and there were people going, 
Time out. And they can ask questions. That's what I love about this. Wait a minute. That's not what I read. Let's talk about that. You see, you couldn't do that before. So these two men came up, with, and they were trying to interpret God's word. And one of them basically said that God in his, the Calvinist view would be that, that God in his sovereignty, who he's a planner. He has a plan, right? So from the very beginning, a Calvinist would say that God ordered... Olivia Peters to accept him and become a follower of Jesus Christ. God did that. The Arminian view says, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. Hold on now. Hold on. Wait, we've got free will in this. God didn't do that. God didn't do the choosing. Who did the choosing? Jacobus would say, no, Olivia. Olivia did it just like Robert went fishing yesterday. He made the choice to go fishing. He was free to do that. Oh, bless you, my child. She made the decision to follow Jesus. For however that happened, nobody comes to Christ the same way because we're all, you know, praise God we come. Okay? But we all have a story. Every one of us is different. So the Armenian view says that no, no, you had, you had this, this, this free choice. See, because salvation is all of a sudden the issue now. So did God save you? Or did you have a choice in the matter? That's a D. Yeah. <laughs> Are we going to settle that tonight before 8? Yeah. yeah, exactly right. So, okay. So, mystery. There is the mystery. It is totally a mystery. So, you know, Olivia, if somebody asks you, did you did you choose one? I mean, you came to Christ. You 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 believed in your heart and you spoke it with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And now you're in the sanctification process and you're going to be there until you take your last breath. Hallelujah. So if somebody says, Hey, didn't God just choose you? What do you say? <laughs> I mean, do you know? Does it matter? We're talking about the sovereignty of God. Yeah, it's totally the If you think that I chose, it may give you a feeling that, you know, I'm pretty smart. But if you realize that God really brought so many different things to pass so that you would... Uh, things and that the Holy Spirit would convict you of sin yeah. then you made the right decision but, but God chose when Jesus went to the cross if Jesus not going to the cross it doesn't matter what you choose yeah, but we, we're making the assumption that, of course, that that, uh, that 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 already took place. So, so here we are. We know that that Christ died for our sins. The question on the table, though, from a God's sovereignty point of view, is because if you take a look at it from Calvin's point of view, the, the argument on the other side of this is Calvin says that, hey, if we're free to choose, then God can't be sovereign. But the choice is made on the cross. The choice is made on the cross. Well, from man's point of view, hmm. we make a decision. From God's point of view, it may be your own difference. Then I come over here for a little while. And, oh, well, this Armenian thing is looking pretty good, you know. And so, uh, 
And so, you know, does it matter? Because God is sovereign. You said you believe it by faith. Perfect. That's your view? No, let me just ask you straight up. Did God choose you? Okay. God Oh, see, I love that because here's here's where Tozer goes with it. I was totally unprepared when I read this book. I'm totally unprepared. Tozer says, Hey, here's what I think. Did you read that? So Tozer says, Yeah. Kind of, God is sovereign. There's no question about it. There's no question about it. And he kind of splits it right down the middle. And I'm, I'm scratching my head. I'm thinking through this a little bit. I'm meditating on what Tozer is saying. I've never heard it before. I've been, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been reading this book for a really long time. And I'm thinking, well, now that's an interesting point of view. Because I got, I got to the point where as I've, as I've looked at both the Calvinist point of view and the Arminian point of view, and, I'm, and I struggle with both of those thinking that it doesn't really matter because, uh, praise God, Jesus died for my sins. Okay? And, and, and that's clear and easy. And I know that God is sovereign over all things, including every breath that I take today. Do easy? I'm there. I'm there. Did I choose him or did he choose me? Mm. I'm not there. Okay? Because I don't know. And so he just kind of takes that middle ground and, and what does he say? Do you remember what he says? Yeah, he walks down the street with both of them. Yeah, he walks down the street with both of them and he's not really a Calvinist because he's going kind of, to kind of upset them a little bit. And he's not an Armenian and he's going to upset them a little bit because he says this is what he sees. God Almighty is sovereign, free to do as he pleases. Duh. We get that. Then he says, among the things he is pleased to do is give me freedom to do what I please. So then the question is, Olivia, what did I do in the freedom that I had? Did I go fishing? Not a good analogy. But on a comparative basis, if I, if I hadn't accepted Christ and all I ever do is think about going fishing and to heck with Jesus, I'm still free to do that, aren't I? I could fish the rest of my life and walk by the door here every Sunday morning on my way to get coffee and say, curse God and die. I, I'm free to choose to do that, is what he says. I really think that, we, that God chooses us and we choose I think that's kind of what you were just saying. I think that's kind of what Tozer is saying. I think that, I think that yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Because see, theology and doctrine matters, but some things we can't settle. And so if you run across a five-point Calvinist, you don't even know what that is, some of you, but if you run across a five-point Calvinist and give him an Armenian point of view, and you're talking about the sovereignty of God in terms of you having the, the free will or not having the free will, or if God already had this pre-plan and knew precisely that you and I are going to be making contact eyes right now, okay, um, uh, you're going to find people in those camps that are never, ever, ever going to agree. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. What's not okay is not accepting the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign over all of it. And so this issue then becomes authority. That's what Doris was saying. The sovereignty of God becomes an authority issue. 
how we approach it because it is also a salvation issue. Okay? Because if you're waiting around, I know a person right now that is waiting for God to choose them. MR breaks. Because this person isn't willing to accept the fact that God already did. That none should perish because they're not willing to look at the whole counsel of God. And God in his sovereignty already did. But in our free will, this person has said no. It's heartbreaking. It's a salvation issue. Because they're not willing to accept the authority of God and their responsibility to choose by not choosing is a choice. And we're around those kind of people all the time, aren't we? I, I love this because I mean, I, as I was as I was thinking about this, I like a fight. <laughs> I like a good fight. It could. In God's sovereignty, that's right. In God's sovereignty, you become circular. It's God's sovereignty. God knew you chose. Praise God. <laughs> Amen. And then, we, and then we stumble along in our sanctification process. No, each one of us. We're all the same. All being sanctified. I love the story about you and the piano the other day. Seventy-one years old. This man's over here. He's going through the sanctification process. God, God spoke to him. I guarantee you. Am I, am I right? Yeah, you have to, or else I wouldn't be there. <laughs> he spoke. The, in his free will, he was willing to listen. He submitted. Oh man, that's good. That's really good stuff. So the extra credit, of course, on your on your on your sheet there, the extra credit you get for tonight is to look up those scriptures that talk about predestination or destination, and they talk about elect. Who's electing? Is God electing? And if you will read those scriptures before you go to bed tonight, under the under the category of extra credit, God will give you the extra credit. <laughs> and if you'll look at those. And just with an open mind, you will begin to see where a Calvinist and an Arminian would begin to start thinking about whether or not who's doing the choosing, us or God. And so I think we should be really careful about being very dogmatic about these areas that are interesting, but are they essential? Is it essential? to your salvation, whether you did the choosing or God did the, cho- did the choosing, it's not essential. What's essential is the choice. The choice was made. That's essential because you've been saved. You are born again. You are a child of God. You have all the benefits of the inheritance. Amen? Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? And it's, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it's interesting, and it's worth it's worth talking about because you may get in a in a good argument with somebody that that is uh, uplifting and edifying, and that's a good thing. So Tozer takes these two different points of view, splits them down the middle, and I think I decided this last week I like that. 
I just kind of like it. Uh, I have never really, frankly, been able to put it into words myself. And I think he did a pretty good job. I think he simplified something that I've been struggling with in, in terms of, it's difficult, the Armenian point of view. Because if you listen to the argument, huh, yeah, a pretty good argument. And the Calvinist point of view, huh, that's a pretty good argument. Okay? And it's interesting. It's a mystery of God. A complete mystery of God. And, and he made it sound just a, a little simpler for me. So do you feel like you're on the path to a master's degree in theology? <laughs> you know what blows me away is we can sit in this room and, and we're all listening to this. And this is deep, heady stuff, isn't it? This is not what the normal Bible study at a little church in a town like Ohio would normally do. Because people don't sit well for this kind of stuff. And yet, it's fascinating. And I think that's a testament to who God is and his sovereignty. That we would say, hmm, that is kind of interesting. What's the application? We'll close with this. What's the application of God's sovereignty in your life? Praise the Lord. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right. He owns it all. He owns it all. He owns it all. Okay. Paul, keep going. And he owns me. And he owns you. <laughs> I've got my own. Oh. And is that comforting? Yeah. 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 I hope to shout. Yeah, because was there a time in your life when God didn't own you from your point of view? Yeah. And how was your life at that time? I mean, I still could. Yeah, I still do. Isn't that great, though? Yeah. To live in that biblical truth. So here's the application. Okay, it's easy when we say, okay, it's God's money because I ain't taking it with me. If he takes my last breath tomorrow, my money stays. Right. And I don't even care who gets it. No, I want to be responsible with it, but you know my point. But he owns my life. So, what am I going to do with that? God is sovereign in your life, so what do you do? There's only one thing, really, you've got to do. If God is sovereign over your life, what do you do with your life? Give it to him. <laughs> Give it to him. How much of it? Oh, man. Now you're starting to get the whole concept of freedom in Christ. We're free in Christ when we're willing to just go ahead and submit. And in, we will do that so imperfectly for the rest of our life. And it's okay. What's not okay is to get stuff and not do anything. That's not okay. What is okay is to think about it and sit in a room like this going, Oh, I never thought I'd be having a Calvin-Arminian discussion about predestination. Okay? But it becomes important because knowledge leads to wisdom. The other application is the ability... Excuse me? And we don't get called stupid. <laughs> At least I don't as often as I used to. Maybe that's a good thing. Well, I think it puts everything... We are faced with every day in true perspective. And if we think about it, there's an old chorus that Doris has been dearly loved. Turn your eyes upon mm-hmm. Jesus, and the things of this world will go strangely dim. And, and it had such a message. 
You know, and, and Marvin, that is so true because I don't know about you, but the more I look in the mirror, the worse it gets. And I don't mean just what I look like. I mean, that's bad. <laughs> but, but I mean, the more my eyes are on me, yeah. the more my eyes are on me, you know, one of the things I love is, is uh, uh, just to share a little insight into my life, is Wednesdays is, uh, are sacred to me because uh, this is what I do on Wednesdays. So I take all the reading that I've done, and all the preparation that I've done, and then I sequester myself on Wednesdays. And I... And I study and I pray and I, and I ask the Lord to help me put, put this together. And it's a humbling thing, you know. I mean, he knows about it from being a You know, it's a humbling thing, isn't it? And, and yet, it's exciting. And there is, because the focus for the whole day, the focus for the entire day is keeping my eyes on, on the Lord and what God is doing and listening to him and, 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 even, and even the typing that I do. <laughs> as slowly as I do that, you know. And, and I'm telling you, you know what Wednesdays are like for me? Because it's just the it's I didn't realize it was going to be like this, but what it is, is like there is so much joy. It doesn't even matter what else comes into my world. I don't even, I don't think about it, I don't worry about it, I don't do anything about it. It'll wait. It'll wait. And so in God's sovereignty, He brings me joy because I get to take a whole day in my office, and I turn off the phone for the most part, and I, and I just, ah. Because what do we do with our eyes? Turn them on Jesus. Turn them on Jesus, and that's what it's about. And then, man, it's like, woo, woo, you know? <laughs> and so in my world, that's like, that's the day I get to do that. The whole day of it. Not very many people get to do that. Wow. That's awesome. God is sovereign. It's who he is. It's an attribute that he doesn't share. We're not sovereign over anything. Okay. We have some authority, but he has all authority over all things. And so the key to that is hallelujah. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, let's pray real quick and then we'll go. Dear Jesus, thank you, Lord, for how you are sovereign over all things, God. And that we believe, Lord, that truth. <coughs> Help us, Lord, to just apply that so that it just brings joy to our life, God. Because you want to take those things from us that we tend to want to carry around on our own shoulders. So thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign over all things. Thank you, God, for bringing us here, for loving us, for showing us how to love one another. And God, for all that you are and all that you do and all that you mean to us. Thank you for all of those things, Jesus. Now go with us as we leave this place tonight, God. Keep us safe and bring us back together at your will. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.